Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is The Harvest by Pastor Sean Wood. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. Right now, we thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ. Before we even open the Bible, we thank you for what is inside of it. We thank you for the good news. We thank you, Jesus, for who you are and what you've done for us. I pray that that will be exposed very beautifully and very wonderfully this morning as we open your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to see very quickly that there is a theme running through this morning's meeting, but uh, we cannot we cannot go through the book of Revelation and not deal with this morning's topic. But I believe in many ways uh, that it highlights the wonderful glory of God and I believe expounds his love in greater measures. Uh, some years ago now, there was a book written uh, don't read this book. There was a book written by a guy by the name of Rob Bell called Love Wins. Let me kind of paraphrase for you this book. It was on the New York Times bestsellers list uh, for some record length of time. Uh, Rob Bell is the pastor of a mega church in America. This is not a personal attack on any person. I don't know him, but I will attack the truth because it's, you've got to use this word carefully, it's heresy what is in the book. The book goes on to say that uh, reality is that God's love wins. And what that means and what he expounds in that is that uh, there is really no eternal punishment. That uh, a loving, awesome, wonderful God would, would never send anybody to an eternal separation. I actually agree with him on that point, by the way. God doesn't send anybody anywhere. People go where they choose. I'd just like to highlight that before we go any further. God will honour your choice. I want, I want to make that abundantly clear this morning. But if your theology, if your gospel in any way, shape or form removes the consequences for rejecting the truth and the love of Christ, you have a different gospel. Uh, it's hard to critique. You read the book and, and normally we can critique perhaps how they've interpreted scripture, but we can't do that with this book or Rob Bell's theology because he has a whole new gospel. One that he uses Bible to back up, but it doesn't exist. The reality is, and we'll expound this more, the reality is that we are given the option in this life to choose, to choose where we spend our eternity. Rob Bell would say that the word eternal there doesn't mean eternal. And so it's only a temporary punishment and that somehow, some way, we all make our way to heaven. I do not want to share heaven with men like Adolf Hitler. Because there is justice that must come upon sin. And he makes a huge mistake because Rob Bell, if eternal means only temporary when it's regarding punishment, then it must also mean temporary when it comes to your eternal life. And it cannot possibly mean that. The greatest motivation, uh, I, I, I appreciate a guy in the States, a guy by the name of Matt Chandler, Matt Chandler is, uh, runs a church, started with a church of 168 people, now has a church of, conservatively speaking, 15,000 people in Houston, Texas. Um, but he often attends the Southern Baptist Convention, which he says, if you've ever got time uh, and the Southern Baptist Convention's on, he says, don't go, go to the beach. Uh, but uh, one thing he highlighted, which I believe uh, may even impact us today, this is going to be very heavy today as we move our way through these passages, but 
He says, you know what? He says, everybody was talking about how do we motivate the church to evangelism? Is it, what kind of programs do we need to do? What kind of teaching series do we need to do? And he says, I was astounded. He says, when one person says, uh, we, there's one problem we have to overcome first. He says, the church at large, these, these words hit home, particularly in the West. He says, the church at, home, uh, at large are functional universalists. And by that he meant we, we act and we live like everybody's going to go to heaven. They're haunting words, but they're an enormous challenge. He says, when we overcome that and when the church of Jesus Christ grabs hold of the reality of the eternal consequences for the choice we make, nothing else matters apart from getting everybody we can to bow their knee and surrender to Christ. Today we're going to find out why the gospel is good news. <laughs> Unbelievably good news. There are people sitting here today that are wondering, am I perhaps even really saved? What does that look like? You're asking great questions this morning. We're going to answer those as we make our way through chapter 14. Let's begin at verse 1. Chapter 14, verse 1, then I looked and behold, and we'll do what we have done through the book of Revelation uh, all the way through. We will ask ourselves, what did John see? Uh, what could it possibly mean? And what does it mean for us today? Uh, chapter 14, verse 1, then I looked and behold, on Mount Zion, really important, stood the Lamb and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. What do we understand here? Zion, for those that are wondering, where is Zion? Zion is always speaking of the true city of God. Uh, Mount Zion in the Old Testament was the end time city of God, where God dwells and provides security for his people. But what we do see in the New Testament, particularly in Acts chapter 13, uh, we see that uh, all of the prophecies of the Old Testament are seen as being fulfilled in the church age through Jesus Christ. They will say in chapter 13 of Acts, uh, verses 32 and verses 33, he says, and all the promises to the Father have been fulfilled in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All the promises of the remnant, all the promises of the saved, redeemed people of God, living in a place full of God's presence and his protection, basically what Acts is telling us, that's for the here and now. It has its culmination in the future, yes. Your salvation, you are no less saved today, but your salvation, although it begins in this life, although it, it, it is a seed that we must nurture, it has its culmination when we enter into glory and we come into fulfilment. It's interesting for those that were here last week when we noticed that the importance of the mark of the beast wasn't what the mark was, but where it was. Notice the importance of it was on their forehead and on their right hand. Have a look at where God writes his name. Uh, stood the lamb with him, the 144,000, who had his name and his father's name written on their forehead. Uh, when I went to school, you wrote your name on what cost you something. You wrote your name on what you valued because you didn't want it getting mixed up or anything. And when you put your name on something, you said, I own that. That's mine. You get your hands off my property and I put my name on that because it's very valuable and precious to me. We name things that are very valuable and precious. I, I have three sons and have realised I need to name my fishing gear. <laughs> or it goes walking. but we name what is precious to us. What's God saying? I've put my name on your forehead. You are precious to me and you cost me everything I have. 
He's telling the enemy to get his hands off you. Eternal life, says Jesus in chapter 17 of the Gospel of John. Great Gospel. Eternal life is this, that they may know you. Eternal life begins now. The possibility of knowing and enjoying God's presence is right now. Knowing his protection and his sealing in our lives is for right now. But, of course, it goes on into eternity. But you might be sitting here today, and I hope this information helps this morning. Because often we ask ourselves, am I really saved? And maybe you're asking that question. And we know that the 144,000 speaks of the complete number of the redeemed. Uh, Not what some cults claim, that there's only 144 literal thousand people. No, it is a figurative term of the complete redeemed. What does that look like? Let's keep reading because there's some wonderful verses in between. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and like the sound of a loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpers playing on their harps and they were singing. Who's the they? The 144,000 were singing. Do you know I'm going to sing in heaven and people are going to enjoy it? Not until we get to heaven, Lynn, I promise. (laughs) Never again. I promise certain people, never again. (laughs) But this is actually a very beautiful truth because what goes on to say here, uh, the Parthas were playing and they were singing a new song. I want to tell you this morning that God has given every person in this room a new song. God has placed a new melody in your heart. God has placed a new rhythm in your heart. And outside of these walls, people are beating to a drum that is very droll and very sad and very depressing. And we have a new song that everybody needs to hear. You have a new song in your heart. In heaven, you're going to sing it and nobody's going to hear your voice. Praise God. Because we have a new song. I've I've met people that need a new song. Met Christian people that need a new song. And they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000. No one can know this song apart from the redeemed. Do you know the world doesn't understand why you're so happy? The world doesn't understand why you have a hope. The world doesn't understand why you can see that there is more to life than what we can touch and what we can see and what we can feel. They don't understand it because only the redeemed can understand. C.S. Lewis says that uh, he that faith is like the sun. We don't. It's not because it's not because we can see it that we believe, but by it we see everything. He says Christianity for me is like the sun. Because of Christianity, I can see everything. I understand everything. What a beautiful truth! But what are these redeemed described as? To be standing as one of the 144,000, to be a part of the redeemed, what does that look like today? Well, let's have a bit of a look at the terminology. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. And that is figurative language, which is speaking about our loyalty to Christ. Whenever you read the Old Testament prophets like Ezekiel and even Jeremiah, there's some harsh language in there where Israel is referenced as an adulteress, where uh, Israel is referenced as a harlot. And the reference is that they're running around with everybody they can can in the world when we are called to loyalty. Do you know holiness is when we focus on one? Holiness looks like we are single-minded, single-hearted after one, and that's God. 
and Jesus came down and set you free, and that freedom is not to go and do whatever you want with whoever you want. That is the freedom to choose God, and nobody can rob it from you. But I love the next one. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the lamb wherever he goes. They follow the lamb wherever he goes. I want to help you today. Being a Christian is not described with the word perfection. It is described with the word direction. It is all about who you are following. It is all about the course and the direction of your life. And I hope that reaches you with some kind of comfort today. Because when I read the Bible, I'm enormously comforted. Why? Because God calls people who are moon worshippers to follow him. God calls guys like David, who will send an adulterous murderer to be the king of Israel. But what was different about David? He had a heart after God. What was different about guys like Abraham and all these other guys? They followed God. The hallmark of Christian life is a radical transformation in the direction of your life. Over a period of time, yes, uh, there are things that fall off our life. Yes, holiness is about what you put down, but it's all about how close we get to God. Do you know the closer you get to God, because God's presence equals holiness, the closer you are to God, that's holiness. Today, being a Christian means we follow Christ. That word follow means to cleave to or to follow diligently the example of. Uh, The best example of cleave is marriage. And maybe there are people sitting in the room today that need need to stop dating Jesus and say, I do. Jesus isn't a dance partner that you pick up and put down when you feel like it. Jesus must be your all. Following Jesus looks like cleaving him. Are you going to make mistakes? Yes. Are you going to trip and stumble and fall? Yes. That's why we have his blood. That's why he's our high priest. And you might be sitting here going, but you don't know how many mistakes I've made. Oh, I don't, but Jesus does, and he still wants you. Salvation does not equal, repeat these three lines after me, salvation does not equal accepting anything because that's not biblical. Uh, Salvation looks like cleaving to Jesus, following Jesus, believing in Jesus. Conversion is a radical transformation of the entire person or it's not conversion. That's the biblical conversion. If you have a look at guys like Saul of Tarsus, he's on his way to Damascus to persecute the Christians. Next thing you know, he's preaching the gospel. Praise God. So I ask you today, what is the direction of your life? The Christian life, do you know repentance is not a one-time event in your life? Repentance is every morning you wake up and you say, I choose to look away from the world and look to God. I have to turn away from the world. I have to turn away from distractions. I have to turn away. She's very alluring, the world. We're going to cover her off in a moment. There are parents in here that have lost Children to the harlot, to the world, to the for those that want to read forward to Revelation 17. More about her in a moment. What does John begin to see after we see a description of the redeemed? What does John begin to see? Verse 6, then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel. Praise God with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation, 
and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, what he says is enormously important, fear God and give him glory. Why? Because the hour of his judgment has come. There is no room in any part of scripture where you can remove the consequences for rejecting God. There's no room for it. There are consequences in, there are eternal consequences for what you do with the person of Jesus Christ. The most important question we all have to answer is, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to me? Who is Jesus to you today? This is an eternal gospel that has judgment, for his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth and sea and the springs of the sea. And what Rob Bell has introduced is all of the fluffy parts of the gospel without any of the actual consequences. And we all want a fluffy Jesus that's holding a lamb with the, with the wind in his hair. The wind doesn't get in my hair as much as it used to, as you might be able to tell. But we all want a Jesus, this, this fluffy Jesus. That, but Revelations tells us there's a different Jesus. He's got fiery eyes. John says, when I looked to see the voice, I fell down like a dead man. Here's a man that walked side by side with Jesus for over three years. And when he turns to see the voice, he falls down like a dead man. There's a different Jesus. Uh, I remember the account Ravi Zacharias told this story for the, I know Ravi Zacharias hasn't ended very well but I love the story it's a true story of what happened in the 1800s in, in England there was a man that was being led out to the gallows as was customary at that time when men were being led out to the gallows there would be a preacher there reading some kind of scripture this particular time, there's a preacher standing there as he's going past, he's reading about the eternal consequences and, and all these things, and he stops for a moment, he goes, whoa, 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 he goes, turns around, he says, what are you talking about, preacher? And right there he expounds the gospel. This is the good news of the gospel, and if you accept Jesus, and if you don't, there are eternal consequences. And he says, and what does those eternal consequences look like? And he goes, well, it's an eternity separated from God in torment. And What the convict says to the preacher is haunting. He says, if I believed but one word of what you've just told me, he says, I would crawl across the length and breadth of England. He said, be it on my hands and knees across glass to save one soul from what you've just described. And I believe that if God would give us a vision of what that actually means, we would be the same. Can I go as far as to say this morning that if we grab the gravity of this, that you wouldn't get us off our knees weeping in the prayer closet for our kids. That you wouldn't help but tell the lady in the crackers aisle, you're crackers for Jesus, Janice. Well, uh, what else does he see? Another angel, he says. A second followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, she who made all the nations drink the wine of passion of her sexual immorality. And we, uh, another said, Fallen, fallen is Babylon. The, the phrase fallen, fallen is like a, uh, a Hebrew prophetic perfect tense. What it is, it's announcing a future event as though it's already happened. Be careful when those prophecies come. But it's announcing fallen, fallen is Babylon. And of course, many people would say, well, geographically, Babylon fell some time ago. So it must be figurative language. And it is. Uh, It is obviously speaking of the then Roman Empire, but it does speak very heavily to our day. I want to go as far as to say that figuratively we are are living in a Babylon right now. 
You see, last week we unpacked what could be the horrors of living under the Roman Empire, what that oppression could look like. But it was a seductive place to live as well. Uh, the, uh, the rewards and the benefits for partaking in imperial worship. You see, the Roman Empire was a very decadent, very hedonistic empire. It offered a lot of pleasure. It offered wealth. It offered business and trade and good standing. And, and if you went anywhere in the empire and said you were a Roman citizen, then you were very well honoured and it had enormous benefits. Ask Paul who... Uh, found out, those who found out he was a Roman citizen after they'd flogged him had to change their pants. And we live in the same sort of culture today. I love the story of two fish that are swimming along side by side and and as they're swimming along, the first fish turns to the second fish and says, you know what, why don't we swim really, 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 really fast and then jump out of the water and while we're in midair, let us look upon the shore and the sand dunes before we plunge back into the water. And the second fish goes, yeah, yeah, okay. And just as they're about to take off, he goes, whoa, whoa, whoa hang on a second. He goes, what's water? And I believe today in Western society that we speak about secular society, but so often we turn around and go, What's secular society? Because it's all around us and we don't even know it. And it's seeping into the church pews and we don't even know it. It's seeping into our hearts and we don't even know it. Uh, I appreciate Tim Keller. For anybody who's reading Tim Keller's books, I appreciate Tim Keller. Tim Keller preached a wonderful message on the relevance of the gospel. Uh, And... Here's a man that planted a church in Manhattan and found this exact same problem. A Presbyterian minister plants a Presbyterian church in Manhattan and found that uh, he found that everybody was just drowning in a secular society. Secularism says that there's nothing more to the world than what we have. It's all about uh, seeking pleasure from everything that is around us. And, and he, he's like a wonderful message, but he used the scripture. Remember the scripture where uh, the the disciples try to cast out the demon and they can't cast the demon out. And then Jesus comes and casts the demon out. And later on they come to him and say, well, you know, um, why couldn't we cast it out? And Jesus says, uh, this type, interesting word, this type only comes out by prayer and fasting. And Dr. he expounds that Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of the greatest preachers of the last century, by the way, was a butler for the royal family. But what he expounded was what What Jesus is saying to them, this is so deep and so deeply ingrained that your usual methods aren't working and won't work. And Tim Keller went on to say that secular society is so deep and so deeply ingrained in everybody around us that sometimes our usual methods don't work. We live in an alluring society. We have have lost people to the world and uh, uh, we aren't going to cover off Revelation 17. We're going to jump after this week, we jump to the what I call the, the glory chapters, the, the last three chapters, speaking about our future glory, etc. Really good information in there. But in chapter 17, we read about a prostitute or a harlot, which is a representation of the current society and the current world around them. And even John saying, look at how she's adorned. Look at how beautiful she is. He is marvelling at how seductive he is. And we are losing people out of churches to the world in just the same. There are people sitting in this room that have lost kids to the world. And we are in danger ourselves. 
as we round this out, the third angel coming down to the most important verse in this chapter we will come down to very shortly. A verse 9, another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength. I'm sorry, Rob Bell, but did you read that verse? He also will drink the wine of God's wrath, pulled full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. Sounds eternal to me. These worshippers of the beast and his image, whoever receives the mark of his name. I love this verse. What is this all about? Okay, pastor, uh, what is this? What does this mean for those that it's written to and what does it mean for us today? This verse is wonderful and is beautiful. And here is a call for the endurance of the saints. Uh, He is exposing the decadence of the current society. He is exposing the judgment is coming. But he says, and here is a call to us as the church to endure or to persevere. And I want to unpack for you what that looks like today, because John goes on to describe what that means. There is a call upon the church today to persevere. Do you know, faith is not measured in a one-time event. Faith is all about faithfulness. It's about a life lived, persevering and enduring with God. But they are described as those who keep the commandments of God and keep their faith in God. That word keep is very wonderful. Uh, It's very profound. In this part here, keep means to show oneself to be actually holding something fast. It is to show or to live a life that displays that you are holding fast to the commandments of God. Here's a word we don't so much like in church circles. It's a word called obedience. Do you know sometimes you have to obey and you don't feel like it? Sometimes the call of God is to do what you know is right, even when it doesn't feel all fluffy and goosebumpy, even when there could be consequences for it. The call to prepare your taxes the right way could cost you money. That word keep uh, is a beautiful word. In the book of Jude, I read it this morning. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling. And the language that is used there is very wonderful and very profound. It actually speaks best of it. The best analogy I've heard to describe what this word keep means is to think of a rock climber and an apprentice rock climber. So the rock climber's going up, he forges the way, he puts his hands and his feet in all the right places, and the apprentice has a line tethered to the other rock climber so that he follows in his footsteps. But if there's ever a trip, a stumble or a fall, there's that safety line. Now to him who was able to keep you from falling. And there's two responsibilities there. One, God to keep us from falling and two, for us to make sure the rope is attached. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling. And what are we charged to do? To keep attached to God, keep the commandments of God and their faith. The faith here that is spoken of is not a shallow temporary faith, but rather an enduring faith through watchfulness. Jesus Command Jesus' commands to his disciples, the 
Most reference command is to be ready, to be awake, to be watchful, to be sober, all using the same word, interpreted differently. What was Jesus saying to his disciples? You guys have got to be ready. You guys have got to be, you've got to be walking around with your eyes open. You've got to be awake. Why? Because the enemy wants to knock you off your yeah. perch. Now to the last part. Come with me down to verse 14. The harvest of the earth. Then I looked and behold a white cloud and seated on the cloud was one like a son of man with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand and another angel came out of the temple which is a a reference to a divine imperative and command he comes out of the temple with a divine message of calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud put in your sickle and reap for the hour to reap the hour very important to reap has come for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe so he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth and the earth was reaped this is an obvious reference to the future uh, reaping of the earth you can read on and there are, it is an obvious reference to Jesus. Uh, what we do find is that uh, I will say that we are waiting for Jesus' return, not for his coming. And the reason I would say that is God has come, coming many times. Uh, scripture references God's coming or parousia always with the language of coming on the clouds. Jesus said to the, high, the then high priest, you will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds. And he did in 70 AD and he crapped his dash when he did. That's, that's, that's Tazzy language for Pactadaki. <clears throat> I will say quite clearly that Jesus will return. And what this scripture highlights and what all of us need to grab this morning is no one in this room knows when that is. No one knows the hour, no one knows the day, no one knows the time. He will come, but what is the message to the church? You need to be ready. And just as there is an end time culminating harvest, I believe that, we are also in a harvest. I want to read to you a passage from John chapter 4, which is bringing us to a conclusion this morning. John chapter 4, we know, is the account of the woman of the world. But after that account, by the way, that lady was the first uh, evangelist. Uh, ladies, you have a place to play in the kingdom of God. Very important one. But let's start. Oh, there's brownie points for me this morning, Liz. Verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. And and many of us today could fall into the trap of saying, well, the harvest is yet to come and and there'll be a time when God's going to come with this great revival and everybody's going to be saved and everything will be all right. What Jesus would say to us is the same as he said to his disciples, the fields are white for harvest right now. Now is the day to be praying for your kids to come into the kingdom of God. Now is the day to speak to your neighbour over the fence. Today is the day to speak to the lady in the crackers aisle. Today is the day to make sure that guy who serves you coffee every day with all the earrings and tattoos, that he knows God loves him and he has a place in his household. Today is the day. 
because the fields are white for harvest. Jesus says these words right on the back of talking to a woman at the well. And what is the message to us? Just strike up a conversation. Today's the day that your workmates know about the hope that lives inside of you and the truth that you're going to stand by. Today's the day that everybody you go to the gym must know who you are and what you stand for. The fields are white for harvest. We need to stop waiting for God because maybe he's waiting for us. What does that look like for our lives today? I'm glad you asked. You're asking really good questions this morning, by the way. Matthew chapter 24, Jesus said, As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be the days of the coming of the Son of Man. People were marrying and being given in marriage right up until the day that Noah entered the ark. And I love that verse, but I then ask myself the question, well, what was it like in the days of Noah and how does that possibly even apply to us today? Uh, when I look at the story of Noah, I actually think that Brother Earl looks more like Noah than anybody I've ever met. Plus, he comes across on boats sometimes. But uh, when I look at the story of Noah, I see a beautiful story of the gospel. A wonderful, wonderful story of the gospel. But Sunday school, and God bless our Sunday school teachers and our kids rock teachers, sometimes Sunday school robs us of the reality of that story. Because for many, many people that day when the floods came, that was a horrible, horrible day. So what was it like in the days of Noah? It was so bad in the days of Noah. Corruption had so filled the hearts of men that God was grieved, it says, and repented that he had made mankind Nothing's changed in thousands of years. Have a look around you. You see, Rob Bell says that the idea of eternal punishment paints an awful picture of God. I think it gives us the reality of the picture of mankind. And the beautiful story of Noah is that amidst that generation, amidst a generation of very corrupt people, amidst a generation that had gone completely away from God, no mention of God, no thought of God, no care for what we do, no care for what people think, no care for anything, there was one man that stood up and said, I'm going to do what God told me to do. Now let me tell you what the Apostle Peter says of Noah. The Apostle Peter says of Noah that he was a herald of righteousness. Doesn't say a word. But the life he lived, says Hebrews chapter 11, put the whole world into condemnation. Why? Because he stood up and said, this is what righteousness looks like. This is what following God looks like. Following God looks like I'm going to build a boat miles from the coast in a place that's never known what rain is. I'm going to build a boat. Why? Because God told me to. I'm going to live by God's word. And for 120 years, that man builds an ark while everybody is mocking him, while everybody is slandering him, while everybody is casting him down. He says, I'm going to continue to build the boat. I love, I love uh, chapter 7, verse 1. Most translations will say, and God said to Noah, go thou into the ark. That's wrong. The Hebrew is definitely, definitely says, come thou into the ark. That's enormously different. Go is a directive, come is an invitation. Why did no one need to go in the ark? Because God was about to send judgment. That's the reality. What was God rescuing Noah and his family from? The coming judgment. Where did Noah find uh, peace and safety? Inside the ark. 
And if you're thinking today what a boat builder he was, look at him, he sealed up all those joints, there wasn't even any leaks, that's wrong. It says that God shut him in. Wow. And if you're in Christ today, the floodwaters of judgment that come won't affect you at all. The question I have today is, are you in the ark or out of the ark? Because God has prepared his own ark, Jesus and the gospel is clear, you are in the ark or you are out. And we have so, kind of, first of all, most people out there think they can swim. Have you ever heard that? God won't send me to hell. I'm a good person. I pay my taxes. I don't do anything wrong. I haven't murdered anybody. Yes, but what are you doing about Jesus? Why is the gospel so good news? Because everybody in this room deserves those floodwaters, but God prepared an ark. And all you have to do, you don't even have to build it like Noah did. In fact, you're better off not trying to build your own ark. All you have to do is come in. The good news is today, that not one single person has to suffer the wrath of God or spend an eternity anywhere but at his feet worshipping him forever. And you don't even have to construct your own salvation. God is glorious. Can I tell you that truly, truly, truly Jesus says, I come bearing good news and he was so right. Jesus comes with good news. Why is it good news? Not because we're all going to make our way to heaven by the by and by anyway. It's good news because you don't have to spend eternity anywhere else. We bow our heads this morning. I want to ask questions of every person in this room today. I, want you, I, 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 want to, I, I must do my pastoral duty this morning and make it absolutely clear. You are in the ark or you are out of the ark. There's no middle territory this morning. Coming to church doesn't mean you're in the ark. Giving money doesn't mean you're in the ark. Surrendering your life to Christ, turning away from the world and away from your sins and following after him is coming into the ark. Maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, you know what, I've been a been a Christian for many years. Maybe today's the day you stop dating Jesus. Maybe today's the day you say, I do. And I pray that every one of us in this room will listen to the words of Christ and lift our eyes because the, the fields are white for harvest. The people, the people in the crackers aisles, the people you go to work with, the people you get your coffee from, they are ready to hear the truth of Jesus Christ. If you have never surrendered your life to Christ, if you have never entered into that ark, if you have never stood and said you turn away from your sins, you accept the sacrifice of Christ, then don't leave here today. 
I want to extend the invitation for every person Father, our world is filled with fake news, one-sided stories, half-truths and an abundance of information that goes nowhere and means nothing. But today we have the good news of the gospel. We have the enduring eternal gospel, Father, which is fantastically good news for every one of us this morning because every one of us deserves separation from you forever. But I thank you that we don't have to experience that. As our heads are bowed and our hearts are bowed, can we join in prayer for this city? Father, the fields are white for harvest. I pray for labourers of the harvest. I pray for Noahs to live lives that declare the righteousness of God. I pray for mouths to be opened to speak the truth of the good news of Jesus. I pray that our prayer closets would be saturated with our tears as we weep for this city and as we weep for our family and as we weep for our loved ones. Father, we pray that your kingdom will come in this city and that it will come in power. Father, I pray for every person in in this room today. I pray for their families. I pray for those siblings. I pray for those children. I pray for those brothers and sisters and mothers who don't know Christ. And we believe, Father, for your truth to impact their hearts. We believe for you to draw them to yourself today. But but last of all, I pray that you would use every single one of us. May our eyes be open to opportunities. May we be ready to share the hope that we have. And in a crooked and depraved world, may we stand up and live according to your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.